Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about, time for Mortgage Matters. Another beautiful day on the Central Coast. Thanks, listeners. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. This is Mike Points. I'm here with the one and only Jason Grody. Jason, what's up, buddy? Oh, just, uh, just thrilled to be here on another Saturday, Mike. Indeed. Indeed. Yep. It's a busy fair week. Weather's great. The fair did start this week, didn't it? Yeah. Have you been yet? You know, I haven't. I heard. Uh, I heard Wednesday was pretty cool. Georgia Line played. Oh, um, F- I didn't F- get a chance F-G-L. to go to FGL, Florida Georgia Line. Florida Georgia Line. <laughs> yeah. And then you got Pitbull last night, which I heard just blew the roof off. Even though there's not a roof there. Yeah. Yeah. That was Thursday night. But oh, is that? Yeah. Oh, that you know what? Yeah, right. It was yeah. Thursday. I forget. Mm-hmm. Yesterday was a busy day. White Yoakum last night. End of the week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great Thank, time. Good uh, thing that Jim's here. He's keep everything voice, straight. The voice the of the voice. Sort of the California of, He sort of fair. lobs one and then cross-court smash. <laughs> By the way, yeah. I did throw. <laughs> don't tell upper management, but yeah. I did throw in. I'm the producer of the Mortgage Matters show on News Talk 920 KVEC over the loudspeaker of the fair. No way. Yeah. So there you go. You got a little freebie alert in there. Thank you. Yeah. Very cool. So good. There it is. But don't tell upper management, even though they may be listening right now. Highly unlikely. I'm sure they listen <laughs> to all these shows. Right? You never they? know. Yeah. Well, you know. So Dan's getting a much needed day off today, which is fantastic. I like it when he gets to break away. I feel lately as though I've missed more shows than he has. And you also, Mike, you, you're essentially a, a regular now. Yeah, I actually feel that way. I we should maybe we should work the the bumpers in. We need to get a new bumper that um that can be we should just have like Jason and Mike as one and then Dan and Mike as one so that Jim can just play the appropriate mm-hmm. one when one of us is catching a day off. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, it's like uh nine years or something we've been doing the show now. I think which means that maybe um, there's just a way there's just a way it can be verified. So I try to only exaggerate things that I know can't be verified, like the size fish and things like that. But Mm -hmm. anyhow, it's been a labor of love, but it's been 10 years of working six days a week. So Mm -hmm. um, and Jim's been here for a lot of it, too. About six now. Yeah. Yeah. Don't look so sad when you say that. I I enjoyed it. I've learned so much about (laughs) Mortgages and uh, real estate and financing and everything, and I, I can say no. That's a bad deal. Don't right. Don't don't run that low. Run. Don't do for that. For the hills. You know, go talk to these guys at Central Coast Lending, but don't don't do this. You know, if that's, <laughs> you know, whatever, you if know. that's the only thing that's said, I, I have to um, applaud you. That's really all we're asking for. Mm-hmm. Is if somebody's right. getting themselves into a financial transaction, a real estate transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, where they're doing something with money, at least drop in and have a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. It's all I can really ask for. Yeah. 
I enjoy um, I enjoy those conversations. And truth be told, we don't know everything under the sun, but we've got a pretty good pulse on a lot of little things going on. Not even not to mention new programs that are rolling out. You know, we don't get them like the day that you get them. We get them six months ahead of time. Hey, this is what's about to start happening. Right. And you know, the other thing too is. Um, I was and I was having this conversation with one of my clients this week, um, a friend that's a client, which is always fun. You know, you kind of got to bring your A game, extra A game, because when you know them personally, that's where the greatest chance for things going awry. Anyhow, I was just explaining that it's the unique structure of our company, I think, that makes it so special. Uh, which is also why very few people have ever left in terms of our employees and our loan officers. Mm-hmm. See, a loan officer wants to be backed by a company that knows what they're doing, has a good back room that can walk things out, right? Do the processing, you know, get a loan to docs and funded and, and minimal headache, try to be on time. Yep. Um, but probably equally or more important to that is that loan officers, they want, really good interest rates, and they want a really wide product offering. So most companies, and if you just took a tour around San Luis County, you'd see this is that, you know, you got the banks and then you got the net branches, which are essentially their own name sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're just the name of the bank, right? But they're they're one of a, basically working for one bank. There's very few companies that remain that are the way that Central Coast Lending is, which is we're privately held. We don't work for any one bank. Mm-hmm. And the um, the way that it works is all of those banks that, that people could walk right into and get a loan with, um, they buy loans from folks like us. And so there's an approval process, as you can imagine, it entails... Um, you know, essentially background check, credit report. Um, they want to see the licensing and the resumes and the the financials and the asset statements to make sure that we're legitimate, above board, and solvent company. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we gain that approval, um, they realize that somebody like us that has 50 banks, and, and really I should say an infinite amount of banks at our disposal, um, that we have the ability to choose lenders based on who we're going to sell the loan to based on competitive interest rates mm-hmm. and product offering. Product offer as well, for sure. So when you work with a company like us, you know, Central Coast Lending, where we are a direct lender, we're a VA HUD approved direct lender. Uh, we have such a wide product offering, but the that competitive nature of it within the the interest rate uh, is is really I think kind of hands down. So the reason I kind of started into this diatribe, Mike, is that um, y- you cut your teeth in the mortgage business at Central Coast Lending. That's right? right. So you you don't really have that that bigger vantage point. Uh, but think about how much you've learned, given that you have the access and resources of all of these banks and all of these programs. And they, of course, they have their resources and reps and stuff that help too with their unique products. But now imagine if you had only worked for one and you had just what they have, their credit score requirements, their debt to income ratio requirements, their 
eligible property list. I mean, it's really, it'd be pretty simple, wouldn't it? I, I think you might even be bored. I think it's funny that you say that. When I first started, it was like taking a drink of water from a fire hose. There was, <laughs> there was so many products. And I, and I think as a professional that's out trying to get business, earn business from whether they're my best friends or people out in the marketplace that are referred to me, you have to know who your competition is. I think it's a professional response to say, hey, look, you're dealing with Seslock. Seslock's not a bad bank. No. Um, they're going to do things a little bit differently. Here's the product they don't have for you that we do have. You just told me you want to purchase this house and you want to add a third bathroom. You know for a fact that it's probably not going to pass the appraisal because it's got some ugly stuff going on inside of the third bedroom with mold. We've got a product that will help with that. And, and having that conversation, knowing that we have the product, knowing how the product works, that gives that consumer a real decision to make now where we can educate them not only on the competition, but what other products are out there. Because here's the thing. These banking products are made for specific scenarios. Sure, a 30-year fixed mortgage is out there because it seems to make the most sense. It seems to be the most affordable product for the average everyday consumer. But Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they listen to the marketplace and they find things like renovation loans. Hey, if, if there's not a lot of inventory and we've got old houses. <laughs> you know what I think too, though? I think that those big, the Fannie and Freddie, I think they're, um, they're lobbied too. By that's, I mean the the national gotta happen. the national association of realtor and then of course you have the California association of realtors and imagine every state has their own you yeah, know Southern Illinois association, association realtors and New York association realtors anyway those guys I mean and, and I'm not suggesting it's a bad thing I I firmly believe that the United States economy is based in uh, jobs and housing. That's mm -hmm. that's really, I think, where the rubber meets the road. Um, and every now and again, it's it's fun to think about this list. But if it's all about jobs and housing, do you accept my premise? I, it's hard to argue otherwise. I will. Okay. If now it, let's think about how many jobs are related to housing. Mm -hmm. You know, you got your plumber, electrician. Home inspector. Home appraiser. inspector. Escrow agent. Yep. Loan officer, underwriter. Maintenance guy. Maintenance guy. Probably Home Depot workers. Yep. A lot of those. Insurance agents. Insurance agents um, do other stuff, but yes. They do, but a, a lot of them. Of their business. I mean, it's it's a part of it, right? Correct. Um, anyway, you run on down the list. It's long. And, um, you know, landscapers, the maintenance guys, or you name it. It Architects. seems like it. it yep. There's so many professions that tie right back into housing. So I think at a national level, what ends up happening is um, it's really important to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the in the real estate business, what's happening in housing. And so when there are barriers to entry, i.e. properties that are sitting on the market because they have a gutted kitchen right. or because they somebody put a cockamamie half-built garage off the back of it or yep. um i mean you didn't you want permits or they've got a limited down payment or they've got you know previously damaged credit that they're repairing all of these things and i really believe that whatever the market is feeling at the time 
um, that those guys lobby into Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA. I mean, we constantly see that these these entities are changing the guidelines and adapting to provide solutions to problems that exist. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you kind of, we got going on this topic a little bit about like you were suggesting that there are things that like Seslock, for example, fantastic bank, and they do some things really well. They do not sell loans to 50 different banks or broker loans to 50 different banks. So there are things that they don't do. And right. and it's nice. I mean, we have several of us have referral partners within um, like Seslock or some of the other banks here in town where if there's something they do particularly well, we can refer a client their way. And likewise, if there's something they don't do that we do, they'll refer it our way. Um, That's right. So anyhow, I... A lot of them um, don't. A lot of the institutions don't deal with smaller institutions. Don't deal with FHA lending. So, you know? so like Jim said, there's that. Uh, you don't have to know all about lending, and you don't need to know all about Central Coast lending. But if you hear somebody say that they're buying a house, or they're getting involved in a real estate transaction, or they're they've recently been denied. Um, music to my ears mm-hmm. you gotta call the guys over at central coast lending and um like i said that's all we're asking for just want to throw our hat in the ring if it's about access to that product that you're um really needing and can't find then you know we we have a high likelihood of having it if it's about just trying to get a better deal i'm pretty confident we can do that too so it's just a function of what you need the other thing I want to say too, because I always I always want to throw us in there. As you well know, Mike, there are some companies that won't go above a forty five percent debt to income ratio, right? Or right. they won't go below a, a six forty credit score, right? And so imagine this: you're at Wells Fargo, right? Found a house you really love. Go in there, get your credit run, six thirty nine. And Wells Fargo says, man, I'm sorry, Mr. Jones, your credit score is 639 and 640 is the minimum credit score. Do you believe that that Wells Fargo loan officer is going to lean in and say, but it's just us. Go down the street, find Central Coast Lending. They go down to a 550. They've got investors that will do that and you can still get your house. Or do you think it's more likely that they just sort of stay posturing that you, you don't meet the minimums and I'm sorry about that. This is what you need to do. And perhaps you should go work on X, Y, and Z on your credit to get it up. They don't want to paint themselves in a light that there are other financial institutions out there that have access or do things that they don't do. So very rarely will you get the straight talk of what's, available in the market versus what you're being offered or told is possible at the one bank that you're sure. at. Mm-hmm. And Jason, I, I wanted to say to one of the glaring examples, and I think you might've been on here on this show, Mike was with Dan a few weeks ago. We had a, an ad that came on KVEC here. And I think it was during Rush Limbaugh, but I'm not positive. But anyway, um, they were saying something that was kind of in direct opposition to what you guys say about combining credit and, you know, it's not necessarily 
good to combine credit with a home loan, you know, and they were saying about combining all this stuff. And I yeah, thought, Dan you know, I, I asked dad, dad, I, Dan and I talked about that and Dan is like, you know, uh, that's not necessarily a good thing. And I would advise somebody like to using go your to house a, as an ATM. Yeah to, yeah. to go to a financial credit or somebody like you guys first to find out. I don't know feel, if that's going to be beneficial or not, because usually it's not. Those those commercials upset me. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think there's a practical approach to everything in life, which sounds like I've rehearsed this, but I do think that you have to look at time horizon. That's such a big part of the conversation. Getting the person across the desk from you to say, I'm probably only going to live in this house for three to five years, changes the whole discussion versus... Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, we're gonna be buried in the backyard in this place right. under the oak tree. Are you kidding me? We love this house. Absolutely. Throwing throwing all your debt into a thirty year. Anyways, Jim, you're right. You're getting me fired up about personal finance. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to take Sorry. the show away. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I, but I I think you see the passions there, and it's not because I I'm new to the industry, only four years seasoned. It's because I really really enjoy the impact that we make on people's lives just in a discussion, right, Jay? I don't need to open escrow to make an impact. No. No. In fact, I'd, um, I find that I, I wish it was every week, but it's at least every two weeks. Sometimes it's every week. Sometimes it's a couple times a week. But I'll sit down with somebody that is really in a tight spot, really over a barrel. Um, and oftentimes they've talked to somebody else first and then um, – Turns out that our local real estate community, as well as, um, you know, I think because of the show, but because we've been around for quite a while and we're pretty good problem solvers, um, people end up with like when you really got it like a challenge, right? And you start poking around, people start saying, go talk to Central Coast Lending. So I think it's it's becoming more and more frequent that we get those people that call and they're just hanging by a thread or something is really, really got them stressed and we can um, give them advice or come up with a solution. And mm. obviously sometimes it is the home run and sometimes it's, you're just going to have to take your medicine. You know, yep. there's, it's, yep. I'm not going to say that there's always a silver bullet here, but uh, anyhow, the, the point being is uh, I love that part of my job. To me, that is more gratifying than commission. Obviously, we need to make some money to keep the lights on, pay the bills, buy my kids braces. Mm, braces. Yeah. But um, being able to help people have Just real have impact, those. Uh, that's the real deal. And, and that Absolutely. part I really do like. And that's why we continue to do the show because we can't just meet everyone, you know, getting this education out is huge. I was just at a agency, a Keller Williams agency in Paso this week on Wednesday. And, um, you know, the agents were not only did they know our name, they were, they gave me a couple of examples unbeknownst to me that, that we've done for them and their transactions. I wasn't the loan officer, but I was pretty cool because instantly I've got the respect of everyone else in the room. Like, oh yeah, these guys are not just out like canvassing, looking for new yeah. deals. I like that. When we first started, they were like, who? Yeah. Who? Central what? Yeah, whatever. Um, and now you've been with us long enough too. Oftentimes I'll be in a real estate office. Somebody to tell me, I just had a phenomenal experience with Mike Points. And I'm like, yeah, right on. He's great. Hey guys, we're going to do a commercial break. 
We have a guest that's joining us today in the studio, too. Dan Ferreira is going to come on. Um, he's been on the show before. We always like to have him. He's a really intelligent guy and a serial entrepreneur. Um, and like we were discussing earlier, his business um, is deeply rooted in the housing industry. And so I always love catching up with him, finding out what he's uh, got going on. So, um, again, we're going to... We're going to do our break. We're going to be back in just a minute here with Dan Ferreira. Um, and he he owns a, a door company, a window oh, company. He does custom yes. home building. Um, he does high-end uh, remodels. And, um, He's created lots of jobs. He's created lots, lots of, of jobs. jobs. And, uh, you know, anyhow, he made some strange predictions. I'm going to say strange. That's I'll probably even cool. say strange to him, too. Um Sounds like he's believing that that tiny home, uh, almost prefab structure is the way that civilization is going. I'm excited to talk about this. I did I some too. homework. Yeah. So. All right. Well. Good, good. Good, good. Ready for the break. Good, good. Take some time to thank the sponsors. And when we get back, we'll find Dan. We'll start chewing on this bone. Stick around after the break for more Mortgage Matters. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thanks so much for being with us. It's the, uh, it's the Saturday edition of Mortgage Matters, and we do it uh, every single week. So here we are. Um, Dan Podesto's getting a day off, so we got Mike Points in the studio, and now we drag the guest in to help us talk less and attempt to be more relevant. We got uh, Dan Ferreira here in the studio. Dan, welcome. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. How did you fit the time in to come in here today? Oh, easy. Did you just blow some stuff off and come on in? <laughs> <laughs> you you tell right. you tell like your first personal assistant to tell the rest of the personal assistants to hold your calls. No, the reality is it's really uh there's like a special moment between little league, soccer, um, basketball, sports camp where you get a free Saturday. Yeah. Like two a week, two a year. Wild. You have uh, you have like nine kids, right? Yeah, just like that. No, I have five kids. <laughs> Five's a lot though this day Holy and age. Smokes. That's right. You just gotta play the odds. One of them's going to the MLB, and I'm gonna retire. Lefty. Yep. I got I got a lefty. Okay. So I'm working my angle. Okay. That's outstanding. I hope that pays off for you. I really do. <laughs> I, um, I hope that kid can handle the stress. Well, he's, he's got half of his own team there, actually. Yeah. So yeah. He's better off having a band, I think. Are you doing piano lessons, too? We have a few. We're working every angle. Something, something's <laughs> going to work out. Diversify, yeah. diversify the talents in hopes that somebody... Yeah. That's fun. How old are your kids? We go from 11 down to one and a half. So Dang. we just keep restarting that diaper clock. Mm. Are you going? To, are you going to have more? We're done. You're done. We're done. We tapped out. Okay. Which the I, cards are dealt. But you know when you like four. Well, I'll just give you the quick rundown. When you have four, does anybody have four? I have three. I have two three. Aberdoodles. Three. So you're like kind of normal. Four. You're you're a little weird. Five. You know people are. There's like, really no good answer to most people why you have five kids. They just gonna assume something crazy and you can't stop them. You just let it go. Right. You know. <laughs> It's like the two carts at Costco, and you just get the looks, and you're like, it's all right. It's yeah. what we do. It's what we do. It's how we do it. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> just having three kids, I know it, that three kids is pressing the limits of normal. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, anyway, with three kids, you got to switch from man to zone. What kind of defense are you guys running? <laughs> well, you're, you're at five, your vehicle options get limited. Yes. And then you're, you're considering the big van, which is like flying the flag. You know, you're just inviting. <laughs> so you gotta be careful. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, uh, yes, ve- vehicles get challenging even with three kids. And I'll tell you that. And you well know this with five kids that are between 11 and one and a half. In an ideal situation, there's an empty seat between every child. Yeah. Well, that, that, that went away a long time ago. Yeah. You don't, unless yeah. you got a limo where you. <laughs> not a bad idea, though, right? A lot, of our, a lot of our parenting these days looks like when the two are fighting, like, you two go in that room and come out when you tell me you figured it out. Yeah. That's how my dad parented me and my brothers. We just weren't allowed to throw punches in the house. Yeah, we do have a, like, we don't draw blood and things yeah. like that. You know? uh, mm-hmm. But if we really got to the point where we couldn't work it out and punches need to be thrown, we were just to go outside. Yeah. And he would throw us out, like, in the snowy winter. Like, <laughs> And usually when you get in a fight with your brothers, because, like, you're both in your boxer shorts, and uh, so now you're out in three feet of snow, <laughs> yeah. throwing swings in the front yard, see yeah. how stubborn and stupid you really are. Yeah. Well. Uh, Anyway, yeah. well, that's fun. So you're staying busy. Yeah, I stay busy at home, at work. We, you know, busy's fun. So you have five kids and eight businesses. Eh, one for each. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, no, we don't have eight, but uh, you know, people who know me probably know that they think I'm a little crazy because I'll probably chase a new opportunity every year or two. And um, I love to start things. Yeah, I have a lot of vision for things, how we can make things better in different sectors and. Uh, I try to defend my craziness by saying for everything I actually go on, I say no to 10 others. So at yeah. least it looks responsible from that angle. In your own head. Anyway. My, we yeah, don't I, see I you saying no. I'm very no. in control. We don't see you saying no. So I gave you a referral recently. Um, I mean, I give your name out regularly, but um, the gentleman, I probably sh- maybe I shouldn't divulge his business in case I'm going to have problems, but he's a jeweler in town. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Said that he met with you and really liked you and was Good. excited to get his project underway. Right? Yeah, yeah. We run, so we have a couple of different things going on. The main one is a design build company. Well, I shouldn't say the main one, the, the oldest one. And basically what we've done is comboed architecture, engineering, and construction, interior design, purchasing, and a lot of vertical construction. So we're self-performing a lot of the trades into one company. And as far as we know, we're the only person attempting to combo all of that under one roof and because the issue is you take all that on you have a lot of risk um you can't really push it off to anybody else yeah and who do you blame yeah you just kind of look in the mirror you know Mm -hmm. and uh write a check and fix it and then keep moving right yeah you ever been on a job site when someone's like complaining about how the stupid architect made this thing that won't do that right no, and that's that's our own staff. So that's we, you. So <laughs> imagine a, a, a building environment where nobody throws at each other, uh, anybody under the pus that I know of, mm-hmm. that where there's a team environment that we're trying to foster, where we win and lose together. And, uh, you know, you've got people from just different walks of life, a real diverse crowd in engineering, you know, architecture, construction, trades, all trying to talk together, work together. So there's a reason people don't try it. Let's put it that way. But what I find it right. incredibly rewarding, and if it works well, it, it really pays off for everybody. Yeah. The synergy meter is high there if you can get that yeah. that thing rolling. 
And what we're doing is we're taking a very linear process of design, permitting process, engineering, consultants, budgeting, construction, and we're overlapping all these things and trying to do what we can to make, the, you know, first of all, more affordable, more cost effective, but secondly, faster because, mm. uh, you know, right now. Not as much waiting for yeah. the baton to get passed from one party yeah. to the next. Yeah. And every time dropped. you pass it, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Every time you pass it. That's so, the hardest thing about the relay, right? Yeah. Getting the baton in the other person's hand yeah. without delays or drops, penalties. Yeah, and it's hard to explain to the average person who wants to build a house that there's going to be uh, 15 consultants just to compile their plan set, and none of those have anything to do with the construction or have any real knowledge of cost as or products as they do their work, and then it's going to go to other people. So there's some real big gaps that form. And that's typically the horror stories you you hear. So you know, just the the idea of comboing everybody together is is an attempt to make the process better again. Mm-hmm. So that's the main thing we do. Um, we also have we're in the manufacturing window and door world with some other companies, things like that. So um, the latest thing that's the funnest to share is there is a company called Architectural Ironworks that we now own, and uh, this company is one of only four or five in the whole West Coast. It was started here by the founder who's not me, but really paved the way for building steel windows, a real specialty product. If anybody's been to the Granada uh, Inn, mm-hmm. sure. you've seen that product they have, their doors, their windows, they look like they're 100 years old. They're beautiful. Yeah. And um, uh, handmade, hand patinaed, just a real revival of craftsmanship. And so that company's located right here in San Luis Obispo, uh, Bridge Street, the old big mm-hmm. metal building people see back there about an 80-year history of manufacturing in there. So we're like the little bit of true manufacturing left in the city limits trying to hold it together. And we're shipping product all over the nation. Wow. Um, $300 million homes are getting windows handmade in San Luis Obispo. That's cool. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. We talked about at the beginning of the show all the jobs and activity that ties to the housing market. Whether housing, there's, housing. <laughs> whether there's more inven- whether there's more inventory coming in, or just you know the stability of the housing market. Housing. O- obviously, what you do. <laughs> apparently, I'm not saying housing correctly. <laughs> I'm sorry, housing. Jim. Can it's you? It's just I'm. I'm not bored or anything. I just there's for no whatever Z reason in house. I just housing. 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 <laughs> it's the a verb. Jo- it's a verb. The, yeah. jo- the jobs that you have created here are are remarkable but i think what's important to say too is like how long with the inventory we have how long can you continue to you know dominate in this space how many how many houses are you going to have to go in and renovate and redesign Mm -hmm. you know is it more important for you as a builders to see do you want to get involved in new projects like new development new stuff or are you content with the amount of inventory you have in your marketplace to just go after that so something just... What happens when new inventory hits the market? Right, Is that good right. for you, bad for you? Are you indifferent? Well, we'll get into it in a minute, but um, on a macro scale, the inventory we're producing is almost, in my opinion, um, inconsequential. I was going to say, Is are you right about word? to call yourself so insignificant yeah. that you're just not moving the needle? I don't think anyone in this county is moving. We can pat ourselves on the back, but when you when I, when I you look at the statistics statewide, and obviously our area is a little different. I feel the same it's, way. It's, it's We're not even touching it. 
as you well know, there's a lot of, um, <laughs> a lot, relative to the historical numbers here, mm-hmm. there's a handful of projects that are coming online over the next few years um, that San Luis, um, there's a lot of mixed emotion out there. Oh, and yeah. one of the emotions that I see surfacing regularly get asked about a lot is, well, when they add these, you know, thousands of units that are coming online, aren't they going to cut their own throats because they'll have an oversupply of new homes? And I still feel not even close. that, um, and my answer is that, that you're not even moving the needle no. with that. Um, if they added 40,000 homes here on the Central Coast in a couple-year period, I can see that beginning to move the needle. Right. When you talk about adding two, three, four thousand homes, I don't see that moving the needle. Um, and how many people, by the way? Because I got friends. Well, um, Dan, you went to Cal Poly, right? I did. You were a construction management I major. I was there. Right? I saw you in those concrete halls. I was a city and regional planning major, so we we had some shared coursework for our, sure. Our old buildings look like jail cells compared yeah. to what they have now. Oh, I went through campus nice the other day, and it's really changed a lot. Yeah. I mean, and I've been out now for, I don't some almost 20 years. Mm. Dang, I'm getting old. Anyway, You're campus st- changed quite a bit. Still relevant, Jason. <laughs> still re- is that what you needed to hear? <laughs> no, no. I don't think I've ever been relevant. Okay. I don't, I'm, I've just always been, you know, just trying to break into the double dutch of life here. Mm. I don't think I've quite jumped in yet. Um, anyhow. Dutch. There's a lot. Um, there's there's a lot of demand. And how many of your friends from Cal Poly moved out of the area? And they're always like, "Oh, I would, you ever hear of any good jobs? I'd love to come back." Um, and it's the like needing a good job thing is really only because it's so expensive to live here, right? Right. If if right. you you know if we could all live for five hundred bucks a month, the job thing wouldn't be so important. In fact, you might even be willing to go work at you know, some small retail shop that you didn't feel like you were getting a whole lot of personal satisfaction out of just to be able to live here. So anyhow, I really think if they added enough housing that there would still be people trying to come back from out of the area Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. or finally get to move into town, right? If you lived in any of the bedroom communities, you're like, finally, I can, there's an opportunity for me to buy a, a relatively affordable home in town. So I just I don't see the needle moving in any way. I've got in front of me the uh, California Housing Futures Challenges and Opportunities Final Statewide Housing Assessment for 2025. So what this document is, in short, is the state's study of where we are, where we've been, and where we need to go based on everything. They've got stats in here for everything. But the summary summary is that... In order to keep up with just population growth in California, we need to be building, on average, 180,000 units per year. That could be apartment, sure. single family. You know, So that's very high-level summary right here. And the current rate of build is? We have never... We've been averaging <laughs> 80,000 for the last 10 years. We've eight, zero? Eight, zero. Less okay. than half. And we've never been on point since... Um, I think it's been since... We were, we were, yeah, basically from the 40s all the way through almost the 90s, we were pretty much building at a rate yeah. that was that was close. And then we fell off. Even in our boom in 2006 and 7, we were barely hitting Dan, the, what we were supposed to volume. The national statistics are not very different from that in terms of keeping up with population growth. 
homes that are falling out of service, you know, being destroyed, natural disaster, um, but just population growth in and of itself. And you can go line out how many units need to be built. Yep. We haven't been building enough units for a long enough time. That's why right now I concede that housing's expensive. Um, I understand why these people insist to say bubble. Okay, I get that. However, um, I still, math just tells the story here that the reason values are as high as they are today and likely to go farther is because the demand is so great and the demand is unmet. And we've used the word crisis mm-hmm. so much that people fail to realize that yeah, we, crisis yeah. is, it, it's meant, that word's meant to have a punch For to a it. a moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's really meant to let you realize that, okay, this crisis is like you're in space and you're, you've a finite amount of oxygen and it's, you know, you you can't get more, it's running out or it's breaking or something. That's kind of what's going on with the housing market. And people are just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a, there's a bubble. And it's just, it's this, it's that. And that's really, I think, a, a difficult argument to make right now. I know there are economic cycles, but the demand has just never been more. And the the fact is, is because we haven't produced anything. Part of me, you know, as a Californian. What we got? Run out of time? About 30 seconds to the break here. Okay. Part of me wishes it was a bubble, but it feels like the problem is bigger than that, is what we're getting at. Right. So Yeah, and and that's the thing, is that, and I agree with you, part of me wishes it was a bubble too. Just bop and correct and we're good. Yeah, well, like and recession leads to regrowth. It's kind of like yeah. forest fire burning through, right? It, it it clears things out, gets things moving again. It, it can be healthy. Um, but I just can't see right now what that, how you make that leap from here to there so um all right we're gonna do a break we got to take a couple minutes here to take some time out to thank the sponsors without them we'd have to charge you guys right now for this content so um lend them an ear and if you can do some business with them they're great companies and uh when we get back from the short break we'll have more mortgage matters All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, Okay, so if you're just joining us, you missed out on a whole lot. It'll be on the podcast later, so it's your homework to catch up. If you've been here, you know we're talking to Dan Pereira, Mike Points. Uh, Dan's holding uh, what looks like the holy grail here of housing for the state of California. It's nice to see some some state statistics and some addressing of the state stuff. Oftentimes what we have to digest is national data, which, you know, sometimes the shoe fits, other times it doesn't. Um, and as is usually the case during the break, we kept on topic, kept talking because this is uh, what, you know, th- this is what we do. This is what we're passionate about. So we're, we're always, we're always chewing this bone. But um, Dan, you, you hit a couple bullet points there about, um, the summary of this thing in terms of um, just if I hadn't heard, rent's expensive, you say? Yeah. Yeah. Almost like you could just buy up properties and run them for profit all over and just place the whole community. It's almost like you could do that. But I don't have enough <laughs> down payments. Those pesky lenders want down payments today, Dan. That's Back true. in 2005, we could buy them all up stated, stated, and then rent them out. Yeah, yeah. 
Or you could just go into a community like San Luis if you have money from another community, take some equity out of your house, buy up some land, take a little box that should be worth 400 drive its value up to 700 because it rents to Cal Poly kit, things like this. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's obviously influences in San Luis that are very specific that change the overall discussion, Cal Poly and different things like that. Do you that. think, I, I, I want to ask you about that though, because I hear that, I've heard that since I moved here, okay? San Luis has these really unique characteristics that keep it insulated and then also cause some of these problems, sure. right? Sure, But at the Certainly. same time, it's like, wait a minute, is it actually, because here's what I think. I think it's just actually that San Luis gives you a couple really obvious indicators that you can easily point to. Right. But the fact is, like, when they put all those new beds in at Cal Poly, you know that some of the landlords in town actually freaked out and tried to block it because they were afraid it would create vacancies and lower rents. So the, the term, for better or worse, I used to say we're drunk on the Cal Poly money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. You know, we and we're it, enjoying and the ride. Yeah. And it didn't. No. No, because uh, they, they added all, a, how many beds did they add? Twenty seven hundred beds the, or something. I mean, I might be getting something a little wrong here, but I remember five six years ago the the campus basically committing, we'll add a bed for every person we admit, so they're yeah. going to stay equal at best. Yeah. To the impact. And guess what? What? Rents have not gone yeah. down. Yeah. Vacancies have not gone up. Yeah. Um, I actually know Jason. I've but I, I've run into a couple of Cal Poly kids. Yeah. You know, and they're kind of happy because. Some of them were having to live in the Pomo because they couldn't find a place here. So now they can. Yeah. So it might have actually a little bit in the outline areas. Yeah. No, I was, down, I was renting my chicken so much, coop in Atascadero to yeah. a couple of thousand dollars per laying box. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. And it's it's cold and shady. We put fresh wood yeah. chips in it every once in a while. That's right. So, maybe so when you zoom in, you go, oh, it's getting better. But when you zoom out, you're going, they didn't we've lost sight of what <laughs> yeah. good is or what the point is. And. My dream for our city and other cities is that we would get into a sustainable path where the incomes we produce support the lifestyles we live here, including our own real estate, because that's a future that we can all be excited about. And I think that's, I think most people would agree with that statement, but um, it's going to take some intentional movements to, to shift us back that direction. Yeah. And in the interim, Yeah. A lot of really intentional movements. And unfortunately, I think is the way of people that they react um, too slowly. Well, and the state's a big machine. Yeah. I mean, there's, just a, there's a lot of things involved. It's there's really, this, yeah, yeah. Chris Martinson did this um, thing called the Crash Course. It's kind of worth it if you want to look it up. It's really interesting now because this came out in like 2009 or 10 or something. It's Martinson with an E at the end. Martinson. Anyway, crash course. One of the points he makes in the crash course is the isotopic curve where imagine that you're handcuffed to a chair at the top of a baseball stadium and there's a drip of water 60 seconds and every 60 seconds it doubles. And so in the very beginning, the drip of water, you're like, was that how fast did that soak in? This is nothing to be concerned about. But then once it goes from like noticeably wet, it would be overflowed in a matter of minutes because of mm. that exponential doubling is unreal. And um, that by the time you realize there's like four inches of water on the infield, you have, it's too late. yeah, you, you can't possibly come up with your solution. And he uses this analogy or makes this point of, 
um, you know, to, to sort of illustrate how if you can't get out in front of something that's truly a crisis, by the time the full impact of the crisis hits you, you can't possibly solve your problem. You needed to react much, much earlier. And so when you look at these things right now, and these, and by the way, these are the shots across the bow that we see in reports like these and others mm -hmm. about the homeless population, about the I proportion. I think I read that. Oh. Oh, let me read a couple of these things. Okay. California is home to 12% of the nation's population, but 22% of the nation's homeless population. Part of that's because we have great weather, right? If you got to be, if you got to live hey, on the street. We can spin anything. We go where the moderate the weather, weather is, right? <laughs> that's where I would go. I mean, would you stay in Fargo? But I think what they're pointing out is that it didn't used to be that way. Sure. We actually had a, a homeless population at, historically that related to what our communities generated and communities fixed. And now it's shifting. So yep. um, overall home ownership rates are lower than than are lowest since the 1940s. Uh, of California's 6 million renter households, more than 3 million households pay over 30% of their income towards rent, which is kind of a benchmark. So half of them are paying more than that more than kind of healthy. national standard of what yeah. they've determined to be healthy. Yeah. And and obviously, if you're paying more than that, your ability to get ahead of the curve and buy something. And nearly 30% of the 1.7 million households um, that are paying over the 30%, so... What did we? I just I just crossed myself. So half of them pay over the thirty percent mark, and then thirty percent of those pay over fifty percent, right. which are just you're half. drowning. You're just you're just barely hanging on. So about fifteen to twenty percent. Those are the people that um, I would I would usually um, surmise they're like a root canal away from yep. like homeless. Yep. Right. You you and really I mean and I'm not saying that lightly. When you're paying that much for housing, you're paying 50, 60, 70% of your gross income is going towards keeping the roof over your head. You do not have uh, ability to, to withstand much. Mm -hmm. right. Have very a little problem. Very vulnerable. Have a little problem. You put it on your Visa card, which, by the way, they only gave you a $2,000 limit because they knew that you were like <laughs> a generous the 20%. Drain. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then. Shortly thereafter, that as soon as you get like your first root canal, that credit card's maxed, and now you have compounded your own problem. Um, and what this is also pointing out that falls into that category people are talking about is your early career people, young marrieds who are trying to get on their feet. Their incomes are just getting going. Their careers are starting, but their housing cost is is through the nose. And so it just slows down their ability, like you were pointing out earlier, to get ahead of this, to make progress to become a stable part of their community. Instead, it's treading water, treading water. Yeah. And this is going to have effects on our community. If I were to design a community that I think is healthy, that high, high ownership, high home ownership represents a vesting into the community, into oh, everything this, that's going this on. This is a fact. Um, and this is one of the reasons why, like back in the, you know, in the New Deal era where advancing home ownership one of the things about it is that if you – and think about this. If you own your home, how much more likely are you to weed it, put a little time into sprucing up that porch, make it look good, throw some flowers in the pot on the porch? 
So take that and move that on down the street. Now, if you have a block full of people that are all in their own home, now they're all paying attention. They mm -hmm. care about who's walking through the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They care mm -hmm. about noises in the dark. They care about maintenance issues. They also go help somebody that's in their neighborhood, in their community that might need some help, where then flip side of the coin, go look at something like the projects where you have government housing, where nobody owns, there isn't that pride of ownership. We tear them the, down th 30 years later. That's what well, we do. But, and, and sadly, though, the, the bigger problem is not only does it create and foster generational poverty, mm -hmm. but it also creates just this um, a lack of interest in lack of just being vested in life just in terms mm -hmm. of, you know. And and so that that was at the core of why it was – uh, a, a leading value for our government to want to grow the home ownership rate was to get people staked in their communities and right. their, right. Um, you right. know, and in and, and then broadly, like look at that, take that from the house to the to the neighborhood to the city to the yeah. county to Every the state social to the nation. Affected. Yeah, it runs yeah. out. That's what that's part of what it means to be in the U.S. is to be able to be a property owner to to be staked to be prideful to to be looking forward. Uh, and, and that, like you said, this is the lowest level since the 40s. So th at the end of the day, you go, how do we get affordable housing? Not, and I hate affordable because it kind of connotates running housing that yeah. normal people can purchase and grow through up and, and, and do this. And, um, you know, I can build a house. year loans <laughs> backed by the government. Done. Uh, subsidized by additional tax on Internet. Debt. That's Boom. your answer, debt. Yeah, why not? Okay. It's not I the mean, only answer, but... It's a good yeah. answer. All right, guys. We, uh, We're getting here to the top of the hour. we got to have a whole six-minute break, so it's time for you guys to uh, go water the dogs, get some fresh coffee, uh, do whatever you need to do. But we'll be back here in a few minutes here with a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters, and we sure hope that you stick around. All right, everybody, welcome back. You missed the whole first hour if you're just joining us. Otherwise, uh, this one promises to be better than that one because it can't possibly go any worse. Oh, come on. We're warmed up now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hope Exceeding you expectations by lower. I thought that right. was just that, <laughs> keep retching that far down. That's the secret to having a very mediocre life <laughs> is to set... Really low expectations, and then just crush them. I'm <laughs> crushing <with>, average. <laughs> I'm in complete, you know, uh, difference for you, Jason. I thought that that first hour was really phenomenal, and we're just going to really work hard and hard and hard to like a to supernova beat this hour to, to beat that hour. I mean, Burn it's really right. going to have to be, you know, phenomenal hour. We now. better get another guest in here. Hey, well, yeah. listen, it's Saturday morning. <laughs> Chances are you're. Uh, I mean, you're you're one of a few different people, right? One is you. Well, I guess there's a few options here. I was gonna say <laughs> one is you listen to talk radio every single Saturday, yeah. right? Yeah. You're just yeah. diehard yeah. Saturday morning. Can't wait to to work your way through local talk radio. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Good That's, for you. I love that guy. Mm -hmm. um, then what? You're like 
in the car Running and you're trying to run to Costco and right now you're stuck. And there's no good mm. music on. Well, but you're, jug and, no, I, no, I just, you like it. It came okay. on and you're like, you like it and now yeah. you can't get yeah. out of the car mm-hmm. because you're just caught listening. Mm-hmm. If um, you're in North County, the car is on. That's pretty fun. I know that <laughs> we do. <laughs> oh, for sure. And then there's your mom, my mom, and Mike's mom yep. who are all listening. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe my grandma too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then otherwise, though, I do. There's a lot of listeners we have that um, Jim. So at the end of every every uh, show, Jim sends us over a yeah, it's between 90 and 100 megabyte file of mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. And then we put that pup up onto the website where people can listen to it like podcast style at mm-hmm. the gym or um, I'd probably use it for like going to sleep. <laughs> I was gonna say the gym. That really gets me. I mean, come on, you, want me, you, want, you want me to confess when I listen to the radio, your show? Yeah. Uh, when I do an all nighter, which is every couple weeks, I just gotta work till one or two yeah. in the morning. Yeah. And I need some good background, but I don't want to be too distracted. Mm-hmm. But I do want to pick up. I want to sound intelligent the next day when I talk about these things. Hey, boom. We, Put that on the back. We have about a decade here of giving you all ammo for the water cooler talk. So. And see, how can you be going to sleep You're when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm bringing us back with something <laughs> like Ozzy Osbourne or something right. crazy train? You know, how can you be going to sleep at that point? It's pumping you up. Mm-hmm. It is Come pumping on. you up. It's, oh, yeah. you know. Right. I can't hear you sing. You're you're welcome without thinking that there's a whole generation out there, including my kids, who don't know that The Rock was a WWF star before he ever sang on a kid's show. Mm -hmm. They don't even know. He was Hmm. quite the star. And then before that, he was a college running back. They don't even know what the rocks cook, and they tackle. can't smell it. Yeah, they don't even know. They can't smell it. They, they can't no even idea. smell it. They, they don't even smell. know that there's anything <laughs> cooking. <laughs> no way. Uh, <laughs> WWF. Mm-hmm. Stuff still happens. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> what were we talking about? Housing. Uh, why are housing. we here today? Housing. 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 <laughs> yes, we were talking about housing. Um <laughs> That's you're you're going to get credit for that one day yeah. when it goes big. By the way, Bill, when I'm everyone a bumper sticker. When There's going to be this housing. new way of saying housing. housing. And it's going to be housing. housing. And then uh, <laughs> Mike Points is going to get all the credit for that yeah, word. Yeah. So, yeah. It just kind of reminds me of like when you hear like a, a Hispanic newscaster doing a story <laughs> and then they like break into their name and there's a rich accent to it. Right. But it's just on the one word, so it sort of stands out in Mm. the whole context. So, like, with you, you're just talking away, and then all of a sudden you're like, and then the problem with the housing market is that it's it's just it's kind of weird. (laughs) Mike's exotic. What can you say? Yeah. It's just part of who he is. There's many layers to this this amazing man over here. Um, Okay. So, we were talking about housing. Uh, we've been having a good time during the break. Of course, we talked again, uh, wives, you'd be thrilled to know that actually we three stood over by the kitchen, um, and talked about how amazing it is to have such wonderful women back us. That would, that that's true though. That's yeah. real. Too bad. They weren't around to hear that. Well, if you're going to bail on a Saturday morning on all the house tours, you gotta throw that in there. Yeah. Uh, oh, for your, sure. Your wife won't keep the honeydew list running for you when you get home. The honey do list. It, yeah, that's I, a I good question. I can't even say it's a list. You're it's like, yeah, that's we like wanna, what you do. We have you an acre. Up. We're rehabbing a house. There's animals involved. Your list is just it's, life. Yeah, just find <laughs> yes. something yeah. and pick it up, or <laughs> yeah. just yeah. nail it back up. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. 
Um, <laughs> my wife doesn't really make a list for me, but um, I, I tried to. I'm trying to do this with my kids, where uh, the goal is if you see something that needs to be done. Oh, you sound like my dad right now. Then you just do it, right? If the trash is overflowing, guess what? To act. Sack. Wait, go Take back and act. say that again. I didn't understand that. I just want people around that everybody just recognizes when there's something that needs to be done and then just does it. So that way yeah. you don't even have to be asking people to do things. I can see the blank stare on my kid's face right now. They're like, like I don't understand what you're saying right now. Yeah. But like, see, the trash can can go outside yeah. to that big trash can outside. This and is I shouldn't have to though, ask you about that. This right. is something like my, <laughs> right. my dad, though. My dad instilled this in all of my brothers. I was talking about this the other day at work. So, you know, my dad's a builder. And I grew up always, you know, from laborer to skilled apprentice doing whatever I could with him. Um, and I'd like to say that I always enjoyed working with him, but that's probably not totally true. It's hard to work with your dad, especially when you're like a teenager, right? You start getting too smart. And, um, anyway, mm -hmm. my dad though, trained us well enough that, um, and I don't, it wasn't until later I realized like when you see someone coming down the, the hall with full arms that you would open the door for them, maybe even move an obstacle, realizing they can't see their feet, um, or like someone's vacuuming and they're getting to the end of the like cord and you're like, Hey, let me move that for you from this plug to that cord and get you the reach you need to keep going on your job. Those are the kind of things you do when you work on a job site, mm -hmm. right? You mm -hmm. would constantly, you know, cause probably if the knucklehead drops the five gallon bucket of paint and it spills all over all the thing you just did or whatever. So you'd like move the bucket, right? Anyway, I, I realize working with other people that aren't my dad and my brothers that very few people are that right, way. And right. I'm like, whoa, this is, uh, to me, just about being present in realizing what needs to be done and doing what needs to be done. So, mm -hmm. yeah. My wife and I talk about this a lot, raising our kids. And at what age do you introduce and start drop? You know, I, in, in some way, I owed my dad every Saturday of my life forever. And every time I asked about allowance as a child he said i'll give you allowance and i'll also send you the bill for your housing and your food and that was always his comeback so we worked so <laughs> work, work ethic was ingrained in us early and i look at this generation and i don't necessarily want them to have to go through all the pain but if they'd miss out on that component of work ethic if that can't be translated to them somehow it will be a disservice to them and how to do that <laughs> when to introduce it and um you know, a lot of times I find myself talking to my son saying, use two hands because he'll go to do a chore and like Dude, one hand's holding some my, device or something, yeah. you know, and you're like, both hands work. My know? my favorite wow. one, like right now, my second son, who's he's turning 14 next month, just about to start high school. He's really smart, like scholastically, really intellectual, deductive thinker, just really, really smart. I, I I'm excited for his future. He's going to do great things. I watch him do things right now where like, you know, hey, bud, it's your turn to clear for, you know, get everything all set up. So he clears everything in the kitchen. Other brother does dishes, right? So clearing is put everything away, wipe off the counters, get it all staged up for the dishwasher. And I'll, but I'll watch him, any of these chores and it's like, He'll be over at the table, which is about nine feet away from the bar where the dishes are going to accumulate. And he'll like 
precariously get like nine things and it takes him about seven minutes to get the nine things and then it's slipping off the side so he's trying to grab it and he drops it and the napkin blows off and i'm like drama involved there you could have (laughs) done nine trips right there just busting it out quick but he's always like got the some weird way of tackling the thing that takes twice as long you Mm -hmm. know what i mean Mm-hmm. Where it's like, bring both the tools you need, bud. Like yesterday, we were bring the trash can closer to what you're loading. Yesterday, we now. were doing a little chore that required a couple trips out to the toolbox in the garage, and, um, and it takes them forever. Hey, bud, run and grab the half inch socket. Five minutes later, he comes back in, and he's got like, you know, the socket doesn't doesn't he doesn't have the right drive for it. So like, okay, so finally, I'm like, feel my frustration rising. So head out there. And the bike, one of the bicycles is blocking. So he's been to the garage like six times, right? But one of the bicycles blocking the toolbox almost entirely. Like you'd have to climb around it between a motorcycle to get back in there. So I say, hey, dude, how many times did you, like I'm, I'm in there on my knees waiting for a tool and you're like crawling around this bike nine times. So my first move is like move the bike. Like, How come you don't just see that there's a way to just to do something efficiently like this? Mm. Anyhow. So as much as our kids are going to outdo us in life, there's a responsibility. And I think this comes back to the housing. I'm going to try to pull it all the way around. It says our generation sees things a certain way for better or worse. We've got skills. We've got a lot of us have work ethic that was very intuitive or pounded into us. We have an obligation, I would say, to shape and help this next generation into something healthy as far as housing goes, as far as their futures. And so as far as I see it, it's our turn, our generation's turn to solve a problem. And when you look at the stats in California and you look at our cities and you look at the direction, it, it, it's our turn, you know, and I don't, there's no clear answer yet, but there is a lot, there's a lot of work to be done. And, uh, that's, I, I'm kind of getting fired up because my experience of life has kind of led me to this point where I'm going, Hey, I, I think I see the problem kind of clearly. And I have some tools in my toolbox where I could help somewhat. All right. So here we go. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys kind of come at it from a different angle. Same idea, though. Um, yeah, I think we do. And I, I think I'm so glad to hear you say that, Dan. I think that's really one of the main reasons we ha- we have you on the show today is because we're all parts of this puzzle, you know. And I think that the housing the housing crisis is not just a function of like build more houses and and they will come. It's a function of you know making it with the right products that are mm-hmm. affordable in the right location in the right spots yeah. like don't don't build out to build another los angeles yeah how do we build up and still see our views you know how do we still enjoy the place where we live but but, but focus on smart growth cuz as much as we talk about affording a house cuz that's one piece it's about communities thriving it's about people thriving families thriving mm-hmm. it's what it's about i loved what we talked about at the break which is just having multiple generations of a family in one community it's powerful think about a grandma and grandpa how they would treat their community if they knew their grandparents lived in that community like what they would do and vice versa when you make a decision you would a go multi-generation see grandma, yeah if i was making a decision today that i knew would affect 100 years i would make a different decision you know if i had that mentality towards the things i did if if i was everything i put into play was about multi-generation legacy and setting them up for success Mm-hmm. And you, you kind of lose that when you don't have the home ownership, you don't have the community investing, and you don't have multi generations. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of social parts to this that get exciting because people—it's all about people—and and that's what it comes back to: the quality of life, people. 
So These are just big villages we've built out with roads and stuff, you know? Yeah. So a lot of people put pressure on the builder to build cheaper, which I think has been the quick, dirty answer. Well, because you guys are super We're rich and you have more yeah. money than yeah. you deserve. Yeah. And, and the truth is the developer, the big macro developer who throws out thousands of units, um, they're in a high risk, high reward game. Right. So <laughs> more, I don't do that. Um, the business model we have is we build customs. We build about 20 customs a year, which just means they're one-offs. They're for each person. We try to build tools that will allow the, cu- the person building a one-off house or an addition, tear down, whatever, to get some value that the normal normally would only be available through a production builder. But the reason we do that mainly is because we enjoy that process better. Um, our skill set of our team fits it better. When you go into development, you're in three, five, ten-year cycles where you have to mm-hmm. buy land, go through long planning processes. Um, there's a lot of risk, a lot of outlay of funds there. That's not really what I do. Additional infrastructure is required yeah. of you. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is that most of the cities and counties have taken a view towards the single-family residence like a developer now. So, for instance, if you want to do an addition on your house, you're most likely going to be asked to redo the sidewalk in front of you, redo your sewer lateral. You're going to have off-site public property improvements. Yeah, you got to put in a handicapped spot. Yeah. And- to the tune of minimum 20. I would say the average little home we build has anywhere from 20 to $80,000 of off-site improvement. It has nothing to do with their property or their – and then additionally, like we just pulled a permit in um, City of Pastoral, was $65,000. Soft cost it has nothing to do with the engineering or the design, just straight to the city for different things. And then school fees on top of that. So you can look these at the- These are const- barriers to affordable housing. These are barriers. And so the, the, the state has basically said, here's your five things you can do. Streamline housing construction. I think the market motivates the builder to try to do that within his ability. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're still building houses the same way we have since 1940. We just have- battery power and pneumatic but so that's a bigger question is how we build and that's something i'm kind of chasing right now if there's some off-site prefabrication techniques that are well but we also in. build i mean yeah we build them with similar practices but now with all of the new um energy efficiency requirements things like that we're we're definitely putting a little bit more time money and energy the, into the, the products cons- have gotten better the technology's gotten better our systems have gotten better, but the way, the how we put them together is essentially the same. Guys Got drive it. up to the yeah the the so so well, but now we use wetter wetter new growth wood that like twists and warps really yeah, fast. Yeah, we get all so the you, fun stuff too. Yeah, but I, I always say this: if what other industry hasn't changed that much in sixty years? You look at tech. You look the at toilet all, industry <laughs> hasn't. It's been the same. Like got since flush. he had that one in the holster. Yeah, he was ready. Whatever. I didn't. What do you? I what did are you my looking? driveway a few. I'm sorry. Oh, now, go ahead. I did my driveway a couple of years ago. All right. So, you know, the curb, gutter, sidewalk, all that stuff, the drive slope, everything. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, you know, and I understand paying for that, but the street was one of those things in the South County where it didn't line up exactly with, you know, where the, you know, the, the front of the property is. And uh-huh. you know, so, so you got a trip hazard, a of, you know, a couple of, thousand dollars to pave the street for the city so yeah. you could yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just, it's yeah. just yeah. kind of one of those cost things i think yeah. that you're talking about there. so if you go in and like people think oh million dollar housing well we build homes mm. from new construction homes our cost for the what i call the superstructure from the walls in the actual part you're going to love and feel and touch and everything like that uh, foundations and whatnot that is going to range between i would say 350 and a million dollars depending on what you're doing 
we do stuff over a million dollars all the time. But if you take like a four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar nice home build in town, and you look at the soft costs, the offsites, the incidentals, and the perma fees, all that, and it adds up to one hundred eighty thousand, and then your dirt was three fifty to start. You look at that math and you say, well, we can demonize the builder. The builder can work better, or that sort of thing. But there's a lot of other dollars here that need oh, to, yeah. that got to be looked at. Oh yeah. And then throw in that it takes you know six months to nine months to even get permission to build. But I don't know. It's just so easy for me to complain about that. I mean, it's you. Should you do that. I so the other day there was a a posting <laughs> on like <laughs> should feel better on the Facebook. There was a posting that um, Atascadero has approved the permit for a new Starbucks. It's going to open right next to the Jack in the Box and the Marsden One Hundred and One. Saw that. You guys so see this? We're I up in that. arms, but we'll all be lined up to get so when it opens, kind of thing. Well, the comments. Well, we can't are solve like, the problem. The comments caffeine. are like, <laughs> "Oh, just what the city needs is this Starbucks instead of affordable housing," and just mm. starts. And I'm like, "What? It's going so far now. These people are so belligerent. You well, don't realize that there's a zoning that's allowing a drive-through done. Starbucks off of the 101 that is." It, it's the, and the city isn't buying it. The city isn't putting in affordable housing. And if anything, what does a single Starbucks employ? Probably 25 people. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Something like that. Not to mention the Great distributors and the tax revenue, all the yeah, things, right? Yeah. Create additional yeah. uh, jobs at the city and all these things. And I'm just like, and it also gets people to pull off the freeway so that yep. maybe mm-hmm. they'll end up at A-Town Diner after their whatever. But it's just I watch the people that are just freaking out mad at the city for allowing this instead of affordable housing. And I'm just like, man, we are just. We've missed it. And and not only we missed it, but we just don't even care. There's not even any accountability anymore. And we don't like even understand said, it. Demonize yeah. the builder. Yeah. Sling this mud from wherever you want with the anonymity of social media. And it's just all good. Nobody even cares. Pretty wild. But can I have a latte, please? Yeah. yeah with you. only two pumps of sugar-free soy vanilla. Right. Uh, all right, guys. And don't uh, say medium. They hate when you say medium. Extra hot. <laughs> yeah, we don't have medium. Oh, like that? Yeah. Go into Black Horse and order a uh, venti coffee. Uh, just to get the stank eye? They're more offended by that than when you go try to order an Aminso in Starbucks. I'm going to do that. Guaranteed. I'm going to do that. All right. It's break time, y'all. So we're going to take time out, thank the sponsors, and uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes here with more Mortgage Matters. All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Having a little bit of trouble not talking when the mic's coming on, huh, Jim? Yeah, I don't know what's up. It's just a funky day today. It's a weird Saturday, you know? The weather's too nice. It's just, uh, you know... I think uh, I think we all had a little too much fun at White Open last night. Maybe just <laughs> I obviously forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does he That's still like wiggle the leg? Does he still wiggle the leg star. when he plays guitar? He's always yeah. wiggling that leg. What's the yeah. Dwight Joachim or <laughs> Dwight Joachim? <laughs> that was Dwight Joachim hits. Oh, fast as you. Uh, Streets of Bakersfield. Uh, yeah, fast as you. 
Yeah, he's had quite a few. Actually. He's the real deal, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He was a rodeo yeah. star too. Yeah, he was a rodeo he was star. The real deal. Real good friends with Buck Owens. Yeah, yeah. He's one of kind of the surviving, I would say, like old mm-hmm. country. Yeah, guys, and, and he's actually a pretty good actor. If you guys ever watched Sling Blade, mm-hmm. it sounds yeah. tough. Reckon I'm um, fifteen. Reckon I'm gonna have to kill you. <laughs> it was like, uh, it was like tater, he plays that that's guy. That's his real voice, yeah. probably. Yeah. No, that, that was uh, that was the other guy, but oh. uh, but Dwight was like, um, mm-hmm. I I can't say the word, but he wasn't a very nice guy in that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, wait, is he the star of that? Yeah, he's one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's actually a pretty good actor too. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You got to respect it. Yeah, Malibu Cowboys, what they call him, has a ranch out in Malibu. Talk about getting Fun. it done and yeah. monetizing Fun. your skills, right? Talk about $80 a ticket to sit mm-hmm. side stage. <laughs> yeah. I but, just, yeah. I, I struggle. Oh, you guys yeah. know what I did uh, last week? You're all going to be so jelly when I tell you this. What's that? I went to Kids Bop. I almost oh, took the kids to Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I took yeah. my nine-year-old daughter to Kids Bop. Good for you. Okay. Yeah. It was a date night. Mm-hmm. We went to McClintock's. Got some dinner. Did they pack it out? It was sold out. <laughs> kind of love. My kids love Kids Bop, and I love Kids Bop because it's mm. the innocent version of all the junk they Fill want my to listen cup. to. Put some water in it. <laughs> <laughs> so many of the songs. So they take like a oh yeah Bruno oh. Mars or whoever it is, mm. and then they replace. You know that that one uh, the other. Strawberry champagne yeah. on ice. They replace it with strawberry milkshakes on ice. So anyway, like clean <laughs> they, they take it, they awesome. clean it up to where it's all just the uh, uh, ex- appropriate to a kid. Yeah, awesome. But it's also fun too because these kids. I'd venture to say those kids that were singing and dancing were probably like twelve, thirteen ish years old. Okay, and so and I they have a bigger cast, so this was just you know. Two boys, two girls, but they're really good singers. And but your, good but your kids are getting top forty without putting their mind full of junk. Yeah, super fun. Yeah. So, anyways, took my daughter there. We had fun. Um, yeah, you should go. You should have went. Should have went. It was fun. Kids bop. I did see kids like bop. some people at kids bop that I thought was weird though. Like some people, and maybe just because they were season ticket holders or something, they'd be like. Two old dudes with no kids going to kids' bop. Oh, yeah, that's just doing that kids' bop. That's suspect. That's why you have to go with your daughter. Yeah, or you should <laughs> keep an eye on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah there should be like a. That's someone. why you don't just drop your daughter off and say, see you later. Yeah, no. no. Yeah, and equally, no. they should be stopped at the door like, why are you here? Yeah. Maybe they just love the music. Maybe they love clean music. Maybe. Okay. I think we talked Maybe. about that with like okay. uh, <laughs> Legoland. You first. You have to have yeah. a kid to get into Legoland. You can't just go into Legoland. You have yeah. to, you're supposed to have a kid with you to go into Legoland. Wow. And I think that's... What's really the cutoff, too, though? I don't know. Like if you're 18? Yeah, I'm not knows. sure. Mm-hmm. That kind of <laughs> sucks. Right. Let's get back on topic. Yeah. This yeah. is going nowhere quick. Pull um, up. Pull up. Pull up. <laughs> you want, you want me to, here, I'll hit, you, I'll hit you with five of the state's housing action plan. This is the, again, 200 pages, summed down to, to five bullet points. Streamline housing construction. Like I said, yeah. we've been building it the same way we ever have. So there's a lot of room for innovation there, which I could, I could go deep on. Um, and there's some big players in the space looking at it from that angle. Lower per unit costs. 
and that means reducing permit and construction policies. So like I just said, um, you could be anywhere from 10% of your construction costs just to your city or county jurisdiction in fees. Mm. Just in fees. That has that don't have... Some of them have to do with their role, plan checking and inspection. Other ones go to water slush funds or impact fees for, for you know, into funds, things like that. Uh, production incentives. So that would just be... Uh, again, city counties kind of helping builders put out a certain number of units, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Accountability and enforcement. So just just actually implementing the laws we have that are already good, and then dedicated dedicated housing funds. Actually, the government spending some money to help to help out. So uh, when you come back to streamline housing construction, it kind of dovetails into this conversation about homes with smaller footprint, minimalists, millennials not wanting big houses. Um, the generic term tiny home and all its implications all kind of fall under that that first point there. Yeah. Do you believe that we're really headed that way? Which way? Of the tiny home? I think there's a movement that's healthy that says the goal is not to collect stuff or have a bigger house. The goal is to have what is meaningful to you, whether that be real estate, housing, and so I think that this generation, this younger generation, looking at housing through that lens is healthy. Mm. Um, you know, we all look at the McMansions down in the Inland Empire, and we, we agree that that's not what we want. At the same time, um, if you're raising a basketball team, you, you do need a little bit of footprint there. It's funny that you yeah. say that, Dan, but every right. time I see new court. construction statistics nationally, the average square foot... Um, of a new home built in the U.S. seems to be growing every year. It's insanely large now. I feel like the last time I saw it was north of 2,300 square feet. Wow. And I think what th- what this report's getting at is that a lot of the new home construction is is actually targeted at the affluent rather than at the overall need. And so we're catering to people who can afford a custom home, and those ones are the ones going for you know, larger footprints and whatnot. So if, so when you, when you kind of zoom in, you see that why that makes sense. At the same time, I would say uh, if we build 25 homes this year, our company, over half of them are going to be under 2,300 square feet. They'll be in that 18 to 2,100 where you're trying to three bedroom, two bath with a little casita kind of sneaking it all in there and trying to stay around that 2,000 mark. Mm -hmm. Um, If we are building to over 2,000 feet, typically, not all the time, it's multifaceted. There's an ADU, a casita, some auxiliary use where grandma can stay. So it's not all footage dedicated for you know just the three people who are going to live in it. They're trying to get more out of that. Right. So um, sounds responsible. Yeah. Well, and it, I think it's a little bit of a reaction around here to the cost. Just got to keep that footprint down. Another thing yeah. too, just you know what you're saying about casitas and other ADUs. I think a lot more people. We talked about this, Dan and I did on another show. Are working from home it's a benefit to them to telecommute now instead of taking a higher pay increase so i think a lot of people are thinking hey a fourth bedroom office is part of our house now but what they don't know is that all the great companies in the world were started out of garages you got to work in the garage right there's some you can't entrepreneurial spirit that happens in a garage because you just want to get out of that thing yeah it's the motivation (laughs) i don't know i mean i something to it it. Yeah, something to it. Maybe I, it's just smelling that mm. that you know that smell of like the uh, like garages a, today are starting to lack that smell. Like they don't. Maybe they don't have enough formaldehyde on the rafters. Or the animal urine. Is that? 
Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, that musty that concrete musty. mold. Um, but the tiny home, the tiny home is a hot, a hot item, and I think most people talk about it without I'm waiting really for, understanding it. I'm waiting for somebody to set up a neighborhood. So, like, go master plan your little community where you're going to have. Um, picturing it like in Surprise, Arizona, you, you know, this is the poster child for these like master plan communities where it's free flowy with open spaces and cul-de-sacs and it's they, very non-linear. Just a, they call them villages. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Villages. A village. Because it takes a village. So it's this great little, you know, green belt laden master planned community where to be allowed entry, the CCNRs for the HOA require that your maximum footprint of your home is 600 square feet. Have you ever seen a CCNR with a maximum? It's always a minimum. Right. So here we go. So then you're going to see those <laughs> like, great. you know, and they got the shows on, the tiny home shows, so, right? So here's the reality. If it's on an axle, you can call it a tiny home. You can call it a revolution, whatever you want to call it. It's an RV. Yeah. That's the way yeah. the state sees it. That's the, DMV. the way DMV, it's DMV regulated. Regulates. So you're basically a built an RV with wood siding that's a lot cooler. Great. That's good. Unfortunately, that is not a legal dwelling unit. It's not a permanent dwelling unit, even though there's some crazy t- statistics of the hundreds of thousands of Californians who live full-time in RVs traveling. Mm-hmm. It's a reality. How do they get around mobile homes then? Because they lots of times have axles. So mobile homes still, if if they stay on the axle, they they are governed. Yeah, there's a the process. There's a process yeah. which converts something from the DMV system over into what is real property, essentially mm-hmm. like real estate, and it involves removing the axle, so this is no longer an ambulatory mm-hmm. home, and you then need to have it attached to a permanent foundation and then they file a 433A, which is like a certification that this is now permanently affixed by way of an acceptable foundation attached to the ground and thereby becoming real property. It drops out of the DMV system. It still doesn't meet mm-hmm. California building code. Doesn't So it, there is a bit of a workaround there, but in general, anything built under the state or federal guidelines, whether it's a manufactured home or whether it's DMV regulated, tiny home, RV, whatever you want to call it, park model, they're not going to meet any of the energy standards. Well, they could be by choice, but they're not governed by any of the California Title 24 building code. And so you're not getting all these things that we say are values of ours of energy use, solar ready, um, performance, you know, uh, all the other- Lack the, of toxic chemicals. All of it. It does, they, they're completely governed a different direction. So hmm. it's interesting that we're looking to a almost a unregulated or, or less regulated section as a solution when we've pushed for all these regulations for Yeah, decades. but okay, but you're, you're circling around here. Uh, I see you. you. See me? I see you. The problem <laughs> is, is that when we ask for... All of those fancy things, right? The green, the uh, the friendly, the, the healthy, the efficient. Those are all very expensive things be. on the yeah. wish list. They drive the cost up, as do the uh, approval and police power it takes to govern whether or not we do those things acceptably, which drive up that red that that uh, red tape cost that we were talking about. Well, that's why things. naturally the, well, count, the counter move it. is to is to reduce square footage. Therefore, you know, you you find some medium where if it costs more, you build less. Right? It still yeah. costs per foot, but it still becomes a reasonable price point. I so, mean, un- so unfortunately, if it's a reaction, I'm not saying I agree with it. I was just pointing it out. 
Yeah, I no, actually did. Me too. Actually with it's you. just good for radio. Yeah, it's yeah. good for radio. We're good for radio. Yeah. All right. Disagreement really is what he's saying is good for radio. Our, oh, I can ramp that up a little bit. Well, I, I do, but honestly, though, it, spend a minute here on this topic because we talked about it earlier in a way that usually it's talked about. You know, it's kind of the thirty thousand foot flyby. Those things are. And, and when you get down into the heart of the matter, those are some of the things that have driven up the cost here of Completely. housing. And, yeah. it, and it, it compounds into the fact that we don't have that affordable housing, though it's – if you asked people, if you went and polled 100 Americans at a time across the U.S., what do you believe – um, is a, is the uh, biggest challenge or would be the greatest success if we could solve a problem today in every city in America, what would it be? I think depending on some of the age demographics, you might hear healthcare, but I think you're going to hear housing most of the time. I think most people intuitively can connect housing to the social statistics that it triggers. Yeah. And so they kind of all go together and it makes really good sense. Say if people are voting homes, they're going to like we talked about earlier. So every time you, when the when the state says every house has to be solar ready, and now they've said in the next three years everything has to have solar on it, you look at it and go, okay, solar ready, that's just a couple hundred bucks. It's just a different panel. Right. Well, it's just a couple hundred bucks. And then all your glass, you know, they give us this new program for uh, how our, we thermally have to perform on our homes. And so we type it, a consultant types it into a computer algorithm and punches out and says, you're, all your windows need to achieve this solar heat gain coefficient. Okay, I'm a window dealer. So I go back into my computer with my product. They don't design these thresholds with the product in mind. No. No, they, they design them with ideas in mind. And so then we try to reverse engineer the product to fit it. Well, guess what? We're adding 15, 20% to our, house, to our window packages to get them up to that snuff. Yeah. Which ironically, you know, in this climate, you don't turn your heater on much anyways, at least down in the coast. So it's it's kind of funny how so everything's two, three, four, five hundred dollars at a time on a home build, but then you stand back and go, Oh, we just added ten grand. Oh, that's an well, extra three, four percent. And don't and forget creeping. You get right. down to it right now. There's a new tax on a gallon of paint and a new tax yep. on a two by four. So it's it's the end user, it's on the materials themselves, the availability of the materials. And it's it's multi level hits that we're taking. That, How much that time do we have left here, Jim? Just we're about two slow. minutes. That's going to be that's enough time to solve. Yeah. It, so. Well, a lot of the topic lately um, here on the show and out in the real world, keep hearing this bubble talk. So I want to I want to weave this back together. This is why housing is more expensive. This is why we're spending so much energy creating these studies and trying to figure out where we've been, where we're going, how do we how do we address this housing crisis? Um, these things, this discussion today leads me to believe that this is why uh, real estate values are likely only going up from here. Um, the parts that we haven't really talked about yet today that, that we can just pile right on here is the scarcity of labor. That's uh, huge. It, it's huge. a major significant component right now. I would venture to suggest that if you compared the cost of labor today to 2011, uh, you, you do this every day. What is Two it, year, a 30%? I would say over the last three years, it's gone up 30%. Okay. And the more skilled the trade, the plumber, the electrician, the higher it goes up. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, it's tough. Um, that's anyhow, we, we could keep going round and round with this, but we're running out of time here. So it's time to say goodbye. It's not just no, break, break time. It's the break time. Oh, okay. One more little break to pay the freight here. 
It's because you guys put the stupid clock on the wall. Okay. Then we... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about it's that. got a lunch date. Yeah, over there. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of accurate, though, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Close enough. All right. So we're going to do a break, and then we get back and talk a little bit more about this. Um, ooh, the next page I see you've already got highlighted, so surely you want to cover whatever that is. All right. We will. Uh, (laughs) We're going to do a break here, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes with the conclusion of Mortgage Matters. All right, everybody, welcome back. we got to make the most of our final 10 minutes run here because uh, we posed a lot of problems, right? Talked all the all the mess about what all the challenges are. We got, we're about to, to run out of time here, but we're definitely running out of time with Dan, access to our expert here. So, Dan, old buddy, um, give us the palate cleanser, though. Uh, what gives? <laughs> what gives? What do we do? Do is the answer just to uh colonize Mars? Colonize Mars. That's yes. if you believe that we're at, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's not in the report. Yeah, it's not in the report. I didn't highlight that. Didn't highlight anything I, about I, Mars. I think the good part is a lot of people see an influx or a growth in population and and the problems that it causes as a bad thing. Because it Challenge any all growth. Wait, you're saying the good thing is that the majority of no, people no, no, have I'm a saying, negative I, opinion about I, population that growth. That was a stutter. I, From the guy with five kids. The stutter. The stutter is a lot of people see it negative. They see the consequences and the challenges that it poses as negative. But the reality, if you want to zoom out farther, is that growth of population is a good thing for our economy. Oh yeah. So we just need to facilitate it, catch up with it, recognize it's there. You can't, if you fight it, you create a spiral, what I consider a spiral effect. So, you know, all I'm, all I'm getting at is it takes the leaders of a community. It takes the business owners to start thinking a little bigger, thinking a little outside. I mean, you guys are on the lending side. You're looking at how do I get people in homes? That's it's your mission. It's your business. Yep. Um, and it's not these, a full blown yeah. crisis for us yet because, uh, every week, people keep showing up. Yep, they're stretched to thin. Believe me, yeah. they're stretched, yeah. but they keep showing up. So one day, one day, somebody's going to put a house on the market where people are going to all want it, but not be able to afford it, and then it's really going to get tricky. But right now, or I think what's more realistic is you're going to have the opportunity. I would imagine in the short term to write a loan for someone. That, that on paper works for them, but you know is not a healthy financial decision for them. And oh, it happens all the time. Yeah, so that's already happening. You're right on the edge, right? And it's just, that's not where we want to live as a, as, a, as a community, if we can help it. So Right. No, I- but you could, but, um, you know, in such, so, hey, listen here. If you're stretched that thin, buddy, you can drive your Uber tonight. Like, look, you said once or twice a month you need to work until one or two in the morning. Yep. Do it four times. I used to. Uh, and then on the days you're not, you can drive Uber. 
Well, the, so here's what it comes back to. In, you got to be innovative. You got to think hard. Our, I mean, got to teach our kids work ethic. Obviously, I'm saying that above. completely tongue in cheek. Right. The, the struggle is, is that it is a challenge today for people to keep all the balls in the air. Mm-hmm. It is expensive and it's difficult. Yet, the the demand for housing continues to press enough that these values continue to go up. And uh, you know, so here we are. And I'm I'm not saying it's ideal, and I'm not saying it's healthy, uh, but if we were laying out utopia from the beginning, it would be great to have, uh, you know, that opportunity for so many more people to have a lower cost of shelter so that they could just spend time mm-hmm. tackling bigger issues. I, I've had a dozen of my staff buy homes in the last two, three years. And a lot of them have been on the fence with the same conversation that maybe some of your listeners are, which is, should I, shouldn't I? Is it going up? Is it going down? What should I do? And I, my advice to them generally is get in, but get in smart. And you got to Like think, minimum down payment in case you lose it, then you won't lose that much money. <laughs> no, find a great deal. So when you go <laughs> minimum kidding. down payment and start sweat equitying your first home, you've got some equity there two years from now. Yep. Right. You know, actually just just get just get a little intentional, get a little aggressive and go get it done cuz that's kind of what it takes right now. Yeah. And uh as a builder in the area, we're trying to view things the same way as well. Well, and don't forget to you can't hit a home run if you don't swing the bat. And so I think it's great that people are um approaching it cautiously. Mm-hmm. They're making deductive decisions. They're carefully analyzing the property, the budget, the the assets it takes to make it happen. They're looking at it from a variety of ways. And then, um, you know, so at the end of the day, it could prove to be one of the best decisions of your life. And it's fun to talk about or to talk to people that no matter when it was, if it was 10 years ago or 50 years ago, when you buy your first house. Well, you helped me get one two years ago, just figure out how to get it. It's been the best. It was a huge stretch, what I went for. But the strategy we took on it and the way it all played out, best financial personal decision I've made and it's, in my life. And at this time, right? I mean, It was a huge stretch. And it's stressful and scary. And am I making the right decision? And you realize that you're at that fork in the road. Like mm-hmm. the the consternation I feel today is that my inner voice trying to protect me from making a, just a, a huge damaging decision. And I think everybody, regardless of when, even when like think back 2011 when houses were worth half of what they're worth today, people were like, yeah, but is it going to keep going down? They were scared then. So... You know, and now today they've got a few hundred thousand dollars of phantom equity and they're feeling pretty darn good about themselves yeah. considering coloring up until they realize that the other houses that are out there are super expensive and you got to get a higher interest rate and a higher tax rate to grab one. Higher and then, tax rate. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's just it, the market's tight and it's crazy. Um, anyhow, I I heard from three different real realtors this week from three different companies that made the like the claim immediately that the market was softening. We're 30 days on market right now. That's the hard, that's, that's about as fast as you can move a house. Right. it off. I'm New air activity. quoting. There's compelling reason to believe that the market is softening. I'm and sure I'm relatively like, it is, just little bits and things. And it's home buying season right now. So this winter could just be a downright bloodbath. If they're right, I mean, it just, whew. 
could get wild quick. But but I think if you're in the game for 20, 30 years, if you think about your life, you're buying a home, and you and you zoom out and you think that way, it takes a lot of the pressure off of, of trying to guess what the heck's going to happen this year. This year, who cares? You're you got a family. You're building a community. You know, get in at a good price. Buy buy in a place you want to be, and uh, enjoy life. Do yeah. your due diligence and have yeah. a real budget. Right. You know, don't just say that one. I want that one. Right. Have a real budget. You'll love it. Months, months, six, seven, eight. The honeymoon of owning is over. Now it's like, I know the guy at Home Depot. I got a mortgage shipment every month. <laughs> yeah. And I got to mow my lawn again. A plug for a strategy that we've seen work is people buying, say you need a four bedroom, three bath. That's what you need. Well, you go buy a three, two in the area you want. And then you do the $150,000 addition. Yep. You know, there's a lot of strategies that get you the product, the end product you want at a better value, better tax base value. Um, you can almost step into it, in, you know, in phases and things like that, rather than just swinging, just going way too far too fast. So, yep. Well, and uh, the some of the the most sage realtors have said too that your your best strategy is to buy the crappiest house in the nicest neighborhood. Rather than, aren't you supposed to fix it up, Jason? After you buy it, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> but but you, yeah. But that's what you want to do. Is real estate's about location, and you can always you can always dress it up to to rise to the level. But if you buy the nicest house in the crappiest neighborhood, yeah, you're going to get a good price on it. But it's never going anywhere because the neighborhood, the right. whole neighborhood, needs to be remodeled instead of the one home. Right. So, anyhow, uh, great discussion today. Thank I you. Thank Dan. you. Thanks for um, coming on. Thanks Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy Saturday to come see us. How would one of our listeners get a hold of you if they wanted to talk about just, you know, the makeup of your companies, their custom home in general? Yeah, in general, if you just go to ferreraink.com, F-E-R-R. How do you spell that? Housing. Housing. Just like that. Let's bring that Just like it sounds. F-E-R-R-E-I-R-A-I-N-C.com. Um, you'll, there's like, there's a, oh, it's like page. that saying I before E except in Ferreira. Yeah. You know that saying too? Yeah. Okay. That's how I remember it. <laughs> Would you believe that URL was available? No yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you can go there. There's information. You can get in touch with our staff, whatever. If you're just looking at a lot, if you're looking at buying something that needs major work and you just want, you just want some feedback. You know, we're happy to do that. I'm always sure. happy to do that. Oh, I had loan programs I want to talk with you about today and wanted to uh, dig into how people do those additions. We'll have to have you on again soon. I do think that's a valuable conversation today. Um, there's so much that we can talk about with you. So let's do it again soon. Right. Um, and if you guys need loan help, um, if you're thinking about doing an addition or a remodel, uh, we've got some sweet strategies that we'd love to share with you. So give us a call this week. One number rings them all. Now I have to say it's 805-543-LOAN. Not quite the same ring. They seem to take all those Google numbers back and then give us our area code back. We don't need new prefixes. Anyway, uh, the brand new website is up and running. Centralcoastlending.com. Go that. check it out. It's beautiful. The loan app. We have a smart loan app now, uh, but yeah, it's not just a new skin. It was a full rebuild from the bottom up, so we're real proud of it. Go check it out. Um, in fact, if you guys all go click on it, it'll drive the click metrics up, which will make the web designer guy feel good about it because he told us we were going to get more traffic and clicks because of the uh, the website. So, 
Mike, thanks for giving Dan a day off. Dan, thanks for helping Mike and I talk less. Listeners, thank you for being with us today. And we'll be back next week with another wild live episode of Mortgage Matters. Be cool, everyone.